Well, welcome everybody. Um, my message today will be about our treasures in heaven. So, uh, before we continue, let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are grateful, um, grateful for us gathering together that we have the freedom to do so. Grateful that we got to worship you and give you praise. Grateful that you love us and that you're faithful, Father. Faithful, always faithful, Father. And so right now, come before you, I beseech you that we need you. We need your presence here. We need your voice to go forth, Father. Um, We pray for awakened minds, sensitive spirits, listening to what you have to say, that you may be glorified that your will may be done. You deserve nothing less in your name. Amen. Okay, so turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. Let's start. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal and where your treasure is so there your heart will be also where your treasure is so there where your heart will be also so the question is what are the treasures that we hold on to this passage clearly refers to material things but Jesus is always calling us to something even higher Besides wealth, do we treasure status, privilege, knowledge? What do we esteem? What is our focus and priority? What do we trust? So really, as a Christian, the question should be, what does the Lord God expect from us? In Luke chapter 12, verse 33 and 34, Jesus says, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus in Matthew talks about treasures in heaven and in Luke. And so the question is, Are we supposed to just, you know, give everything up and go right on to the mission field? Is the accumulation of all the stuff that I have something that the Lord despises? We're going to turn again. I'm going to come back to that. We're going to turn again to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. This is a long one. And this is really what the message is going to be mainly about, because it's really about what does the Lord God want of us in the midst of plenty and of lack. So every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful home houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget, you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and, scorp and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. And you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is in this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Wow, there's a lot in there. So what are some of the important points that God wants us to stand from that? As Christians, we are now God's chosen people. And as he guided the Israelites, he's also guiding our paths. He's the one who led us out of ourselves, our bondage, our selfishness, our pride, into a new land of mercy, in love, in a new country, in a new city where he is God. Hebrews 11, 14, 16. For those who say such things declare pain, plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they have called to mind that country from which they had come out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So God's plan for us. He's directing our paths. He's the one who's guiding us. He's giving us a new desire, not one to build the kingdom for self, but one to give him glory and bathe in his presence, loving him. The other part, secondly, it mentions his voice, and we have his voice in the Bible, is the one who's speaking to us and calling us to obedience. He's made it clear what he wants us to do and expects us to be diligent and steadfast. We are expected to keep his commandments. What are his commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an arduous task. He's provided a way, and he carries the bulk of the weight. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So yes, we're called to obedience, but he's there to help us. He carries the bulk of weight. He's the one who guides us into obedience. We have to trust him for that. So when we saw in Deuteronomy 8.2, God is testing our hearts. He's seeing what do we value? Where do we put our time and energy? We also know that in Jeremiah 17.9, that he shows us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. But fortunately, in Christ, we are born again into a new life with a new heart and new desires. Yet there is also a battle. There's a battle of the old man and the new. Right? We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. It says the old has gone and the new has come. It is in Christ the old is gone. But we still walk with that. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 how he continually battled with the flesh. And he calls us to crucify the flesh and take up our cross. So God knows this. He's not surprised by this battle. It's not like he's shocked. And in Jeremiah 17.10, he says, He searches our hearts and tests our minds. He's the one who's helping us to realize our true motivations and lead us to the path of righteousness. And so by his providence, we've been brought up in this country. Here in the U.S., we live in a land of plenty. Just like it said in Deuteronomy 8, 7, and 9, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. We live here in a very, very good land. Here it says wheat and barley. We have so much in this land of plenty. I just want to relate to you a few things that we may forget of what we have. We here in the U.S., we acknowledge that we're better off than much of the world. But when we look at the world and when we look at ourselves, you know, the average wage here is around 50000 a year for Americans. And we think the average wage around the world is 20000 but it's more like 2000 
The average person lives on about 2,000 a year in the world. We compare ourselves with others in this nation rather than in the world. And even those here on the poverty line, which is around 14 or 15,000, are still better off than 86% of the planet. Those we consider poor are better than more than four-fifths of the world. When you compare ourselves with even 100 years ago, at that time only the rich had cars and they were driving in kind of shabby jalopies on harsh tires on harsh roads. And now 90% of Americans have cars. Car ownership in the world even as a whole has exploded in the last 15 years that now about 1 in 10 have cars when it used to be 3%. And look at servants. When you talk to the rich and you see kings and have all these servants attending to them and we think, well, you know, I don't have servants. But actually, we do. Our servants are the washing machine and the dryer which washes better than any human. We have the microwave which cooks my food better. Right? I have a television, electronic tablets, phones that entertain me instantly whenever I want. I don't have to wait for a traveling circus to come through my court to entertain me. Okay? I don't even need a private tutor because I carry a university in my hand. This phone itself has more computational power than what landed men on the moon. That's the power that we have. Okay, and this is what we're talking at home. We have now with faucets that you say Alexa and turns on and off. We have instant hot water. We have everything that we could desire. Our schedule, we have our own personal assistant with Siri and all these things that tell us anything that we want to have scheduled. We actually have dozens of servants, each one of us. We live in an abundant land at an abundant time in history. Much has been done by mankind that we think that we really don't need God. We can accomplish it all in our own power. And just like it says in Deuteronomy 8.17, we think we've earned it, our might. We deserve it. Um, I'd like to relate to you a, a little bit more about my background. My father and mother migrated from India to Canada on a boat back in 1959. He had 50 cents in his pocket. He gave 25 cents to the porter. So he landed in Montreal with just 25 cents in his pocket. He uh, um, went for his master's degree at the university in, in Montreal and uh, became a master's in education, became a teacher. My sister was born there, and then they moved to northern Manitoba, where I was born. I say a cold day in February, minus 40. So Manitoba, if you don't know much about Canada, this area is kind of north of North Dakota. And uh, it's like Alaska north, so pretty cold. But he tried to prosper and moved around, moved to Edmonton where my brother was born, and we moved to different towns, getting different jobs, and finally was on the way to becoming a vice principal in Saskatchewan, Alberta. And then we had the tragedy that turned our lives upside down. A, a massive car accident trying to avoid some kind of animal on the road turned over back in 1965 where there were no airbags, car seats, seat belts. My sister died in the accident. My father had a massive head injury. He was 
in a coma for a month. So I was a year and a half old. My brother was a few weeks old, and we both escaped. I say unscathed. I had a scar on my cheek, my father told me, but uh, that's about it. But we were headed towards a middle class or maybe slightly upper middle class lifestyle, and we didn't, he couldn't keep a job after that. And we lived a, in low-income housing for much of my years growing up. It wasn't easy. It was tough, but we learned to be frugal. We learned to stretch that dollar like it was rubber. And we learned delayed gratification, not always trying to seek something right now. But in that trial, God used that for me to cry out when I was troubled, when I wasn't happy, when I wasn't content, when I didn't have all that I wanted. I, somebody told me to talk to a personal God, and I started to talk with him. I asked him for help. And when things were going bad, I talked to God more. And when things were going well, I didn't talk to him very much. I thought, I got this. So it's the nature of humans that when things are going well, we take credit for our good. It's only in adversity that God allows us to see our need for him. He allows us to show we really don't have control. It's an illusion. He's the master of our destiny. We are not. But in that mercy, you know, I was in Canada, in Western Canada. Um, God brought me here to Kentucky. Out of his mercy, taking me away from my plans, thinking to do what I wanted to do, just like he took my father from another country to another country, he brought me here. But he brought me here to have a relationship with him. I thought I was going to be here for a little while, three years, and I'd go back to Canada. And then Jesus radically saved my life and set me on a path away from self to service. Unfortunately, I'm a bit like the Israelites, and I wandered a lot before surrendering. And, but he's faithful, and he brings us back to him. And I want you to know, the reason I'm sharing that is it is God who orchestrates all things. And there's a plan he does that for his glory. And he's working within our lives, weaving a beautiful tapestry. And as we trust in that in the midst of the trials, and as we surrender that which we want, he will guide us. But he asks something of us. Okay? He asks us to be in a relationship with him. And out of that love, to bless others, to serve others. That's how we show that love. That's how we know he knows. That's how he tests our heart to see whether we're living for ourselves or for others. So, does he need us to work with him to accomplish his plans? No. He's God. He can do it all. But he is a great father. And as a good father... He brings his children into service with him to teach them, to train them, to mold them, to make the child more like the father. That's what every good father wants, to teach them how to do life the right way. And the right way for us is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be like Jesus. And we have a long way to go. So part of what Jesus did is, you know, God created in the Adam 
to be a steward. He created Adam to take care of the animals in the kingdom, to take care of the garden, to take care of the earth. Adam failed in his task, and so Jesus came as the perfect Adam to show us exactly the path. And Jesus came as the perfect steward. Humble, didn't he had no house, no place to put his head. Served continually. Stayed in relationship with God. The only time for himself was the time that he spent in communion with the Father. And that's what he wants of us. That time still wasn't selfish in the way that we think. It was a time of him to love on God, the Father, and to receive the Father's love in him, and then go back and serve again. So in stewardship, in that same sense, I want to clarify that we, there are certain things we have to understand. Let's look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and indivisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things consist. All things rest in him. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So what's the first principle for us to understand? God created everything and he owns everything. Everything is his. When he addressed Job... In Job 41.11, he said, Everything under heaven belongs to me. I forget that. I think my stuff is mine. This is my truck, my car, my house, my stuff. That's not the truth. It all belongs to him. Good news about that. His God is immeasurably good. He sustains creation. He sustains us. He sustains everything. We forget that. We think that everything's in this perpetual motion, that the earth goes around the sun and the universe kind of unfolds as it does through this expansion. And if you're into science and geeky stuff like that, I can talk more about that. But we think it's kind of automatic, like an autopilot. That's not true. God is the one who sustains all of creation. He has decreed what has been, what is, and what will be. So I said earlier, God doesn't need us, but as a good father, he wants his children to participate in his work. So we're to learn and grow and become more like him, and he calls us to be stewards, good stewards. So Genesis 2.15 Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
So God, God starts using a man by having him take care of the physical, the earth, the environment, and then meeting the needs of others in the body. But we also must remember that God works on multiple levels. He first entrusts us with the physical and the temporal responsibilities. And as we respond according to his will, he entrusts us with spiritual and eternal responsibilities. The path of the Christian is always of service from humility for the benefit of others, whether it's cleaning toilets, to washing dishes, to working in ministry, to preaching the gospel. All things in service to the Lord. He asks us to be a steward in everything. Our talents, our time, our money, and especially our thoughts. We don't talk much about the thoughts, but everything is to be submitted to the Lord. For he uses all of them for the benefit of others and the glory of God. Yet I don't know about you, but we don't do that. Most of the time, I think those things are mine. The thoughts are mine. My talents are mine. My time is mine. My money is mine. I use it for what I want. and Not to say I may not tithe or give some things, but most of the time during the day, I'm not asking the question, what do you want me to do at this moment, Lord? In the next moment, when I'm busy at work and doing the next thing that needs to be done, when things come up and I have to take care of it, how often do we live in the continual presence of the Lord? So we may be selectively giving in certain things, or we may give some parts, give our money, but not our time or talents. Or um, others give their time and talents, but don't give their money. Or we only give part way. We don't surrender at all. And so when I was going through that, I also looked up some reasons why people may not want to give. And they use money as an example. Some don't because they have poverty of spirit. They fear there will not be enough. If I give you, then I won't have enough to pay the bills at the end of the month or take care of this or that. Some say just that a reaction out of legalism and rebellion. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Some do because they don't know. They're ignorant. They're unaware of what the Bible says about giving. Others because they lack discipline in their lives. We're, our lives are in a disarray. We kind of bounce around like a pinball from one bumper to another, really having not a plan. It's very hard for us to resist the consumer mentality of our world, and so we have a misplaced sense of priorities. A lot of us, we rely on our own understanding and not on God's word, so we make poor choices. Many of us may be in crippling debt. We take on things and buy things because we think that we want that now and it's reasonable and fair and expected for us to have it. And so when you're in debt, you don't have the resources to, to spend on other things. And some of it's just status. You know, we, we, we allocate our resources feeling that, okay, I have this standard. I should be having this lifestyle. I should be driving this nice car or have this particular home and everybody else talks about that and that's what's expected but ultimately what it really comes down to is the lack of trust in God we don't believe that God can truly provide for our needs 
and more or, li- or more likely, we really don't believe that God will give us what we want. But when we look at Philippians four nine, uh, sorry four nineteen, and my God will supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The word says something very different. God will take care of us. It will be through Christ. It won't be in the way that we think. And you do it, he continually will check and have our test our hearts to see whether we believe in him and whether we really trust in him. But as we do, he rewards us. So 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 14. But I, the, this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding Grace of God in you. So this giving and this attitude of a cheerful giver blesses the body, enriches our souls, and gives glory to God. And he originates all of that. He's the one who starts within us. And by working through us as we are a conduit and being obedient, he gets ever the more glory. So he's the one who empowers us And enable us to accomplish all things. Praise God. Praise God. But also, we have to be aware there's a warning. So let's look at the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. First, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he, who had received the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. 
Look, I have gained five more towns beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent said, Lord, I knew you had to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. But his Lord answered him and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited your, my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's strong stuff. So what's it saying? Number one, we will all be held accountable to God. He's going to ask us the question, why did we not love and trust him after what Jesus did for us? The parable of the talent shows the unprofitable servant is one who really never put his faith in God. His actions show that any profession of faith was at best insincere. He did not grasp the mercy that God extended to him. Those who have been forgiven much love much. He was afraid of God and did not recognize that what God had done for him. First John says that perfect love casts out all fear, and God's love is so perfect. And as we allow his love to abide within us, we do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of anything. We don't have to be afraid of passing the gospel to others and what people think of us. We don't have to be afraid have taken care of what he asks us to do, even if the world says we're crazy and what we're doing doesn't make sense and we should be living for ourselves and we don't even know what we're thinking about and we're foolish. We don't have to be afraid of any of those things. So there's also good news in that parable of the talents is we will be rewarded. Some of those rewards will be on earth, though not in the fashion that we may think. God will always reward us with greater responsibility to be a blessing to others. So as we do some things in responsibility, he gives us more responsibility, but the purpose is not for ourselves. It's for his glory through the benefit of others, to bring others to him. 
we will be rewarded by being more useful vessels for his spirit. And in that process, it'll make us more like Christ-like. It's a positively reinforcing cycle as we continually surrender to the Lord. So there will be rewards on earth, and there also will be rewards in heaven. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So do we look forward to the day when God says to us, well done and good and faithful servant and enter into the joy of your Lord? The God, the God of the universe says to us, well done. Hundreds and hundreds of billions of galaxies he's created. This immense universe that we cannot imagine. We're tiny compared to him. And he will tell us, well done. He doesn't need to acknowledge us. He's so much greater than us. And we owe him. We owe him. Yet he is that good. That good. And he takes such pleasure in lifting us up. Those of you who have babies in your hands, and I see that, you take such pleasure in your babies who really don't give you very much in themselves. They don't have much to offer. Love and affection towards you, they're so dependent on you. So are we unto the Lord. But you take such pleasure when you see them laugh and giggle, when you see the smile on their face, when you see all the things, you just can't help but loving them. God's love is much greater than that for us. Much greater. Much greater. Sometimes when your kid, you know, pees or poops on you when you're changing the diaper, who of which of us has had that happen? I think all of us. Um, it's not so much fun. Or we have to wake up at 3 in the morning with a screaming, crying baby, and you have to work at 6. It's not always fun. Okay? But it's worth it. God knows that what he tries to do, it's worth it. So... Um, I love what it says, what I wrote here. He says, you know, he's so good. He wants us to join in the celebration, and there will be a celebration in heaven. Celebration of his joy and his love. It'll be kind of a party, not the kind of party that we're used to. A place where we'll be praising him and singing his praises, but there'll be light all around, and it will be amazing. There will be nothing greater. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says it. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We have no idea how good he is and what he plans. We can't even imagine it. But I want to contrast that a little bit with Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He said, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward for my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hand had done. 
and all the labor which I had toiled. Indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So Solomon, who asked for wisdom and received it and for a while was obedient to God, was richly blessed in all things. God said, I will give you all things because of that, because you asked for wisdom to guide his people. He asked to be a servant, how to be a better servant. He had the right initial attitude. And so God gave him wealth, fame, acclaim, everything that he could wanted. And he allowed his heart to be led astray by the world and the lusts of his heart. So many ways, we're as rich as Solomon. In other ways, more rich, richer than he is. Are we going to take things for granted and be ungrateful, comparing ourselves to the world? Never satisfied, always lusting for more. Are we going to believe in the goodness of God, relying on him and surrendering our plans for his? One path leads to vanity and death, and the other to life. So the question is, where are our treasures? Let's pray. Lord, Father, um, we need your help. We always need your help. We can't do this walk, this normal Christian life apart from you. We come before you, beseeching you, asking you to have your way, to do what you want within us. And so, Father, right now, I, I pray for each person here. There may be somebody here who doesn't know you, Lord. This may be the very day of their salvation. So, Father, if there's somebody who doesn't know you and, Lord, you're drawing them to you, their need to repent of their ways of their selfishness and self-life, Lord, Father, bring them forward that we may pray for them, Lord. Father, for others who um, you're, you're calling for a deeper level of surrender instead of, of, of bitterness or, Lord, you're calling for trust in you. Trust in your goodness. Trust that you will supply all needs. And they want to come forward to surrender further. As a testament of faith, make it so, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.